welcome to the second episode of The Brand New Podcast, a brand new podcast brought to you by the folks at Brand New Congress. I'm Jordan Valerie, Chief Policy Strategist at BNC, and today I'm going to be discussing ICE abolition with three of the wonderful candidates in our slate. Mark Whitmire of Tennessee's second, Rick Trevino of Texas's 23rd, and Chardo Richardson of Florida's seventh. Thank you all for coming. Thanks for having us on. Great to be here. Great. So I think the best place for us to start with this discussion is with the creation of ICE. Uh, Chardo, could you tell us about when and why ICE was established? Sure. So uh, ICE was begun in 2003. I must add here that it's an enforcement arm that is a waste of our taxpayer dollars, and it's used to basically deport undocumented Americans or individuals that come to this country uh, fleeing violence or, or just seeking a better future for themselves. ICE is there to remove them um, from our country and it's costing us taxpayers quite a bit of money to do that. Yeah, I think it's, it's good to, to look at the context of when it was created. It really uh, uh, matured, you know, post 9-11 uh, in the Department of Homeland Security shakeup, and it, like Charles said, became the enforcement arm of that, of that, and its uh its mission at you know first started really to look at terrorism associated with like Al Qaeda and those type of elements. But there's a lot of legal room for ICE to work to uh, really have a aggressive deportation strategy. The deportation strategy of the United States has been consistent with Democrats and Republicans. It really all started in '96. Uh, with Bill Clinton, the Illegal Immigration Reform, Immigrant Responsibility Act. That was the act that basically set up the policy that we see now. It really uh, made you know, local law enforcement ICE deputies, and it put the onus of responsibility of the federal deportation policy to local and state officials. And uh, you started to see that tension between the federal government, which really have really politicized agenda, that's really being driven by profit motives from the private prison industry. So it's a big, complicated thing, and it is a waste of taxpayer dollars. But ICE really came out of a legacy of picking on very vulnerable populations here in the United States, like undocumented people, and then uh, has really been enforced and and motivated by profit motives from the private prison industry. So it's a huge waste of money, and we need to get rid of it. Rick, could you tell us more about the politicized agenda of ICE? What role exactly do private prisons have in this? So the two largest private prisons have to be GEO Group and CCA. I'm going to call them by the original name. They've changed their name a couple times, but those are the two largest prison, uh, private prison corporations. And what you've seen is with this mission of mass deportation, local and state and federal Prisons are already bloated in this era of mass incarceration with uh, the war on drugs, which has disproportionately affected men of color, disproportionately black. And in this era, uh, undocumented people uh, are being torn apart from their families to really fill the coffers of the private prison industry. And they've given millions and millions of dollars to both Democrats and Republicans. There's a Democrat down in Texas 28, Henry Cuellar, that takes money from GEO Group will hurt as well. I mean, in downtown San Antonio, there's a GEO group private prison right in the middle of the city. So these private prison facilities are all around and they really have created this 
this need, right? They're the ones that are driving uh, ICE and HSI and our law enforcement to be very aggressive. And now in this new era of nativism, you know, this really retrograde moment, you've seen that the discretion is falling on these ICE agents and you're seeing now more families being torn apart. But this has been going on for a while. President Barack Obama has deported 300,000 people a year, about 1,000 a day since 2008. And that's because Democrats have been pandering to those Reagan Democrats for so long. And we dog whistled, as the Democratic Party dog whistles, to cater to these votes to get tough on the border and get tough on these criminal elements. And they, they demonize these very vulnerable communities for, for money, for these private prisons. And it's disgusting. And it's really morally abhorrent. We got to do something about it. Mark, could you give us your thoughts on what we need to do about this? Oh, sure. Um, you know, whenever I was doing research on ICE, and I found that it was created back in 2003 under the premise of, of protecting citizens, um, and now it's actually been used against us, what I have kind of found out would be the best thing to do is just simply reintegrate ICE and CBP and CIS back into the INS, which uh, up, up until 2003 was the Immigration Naturalization Service. Um, the, you know, they used to handle this business just fine. Um, you know, back then, whenever we had an undocumented American who committed a crime, they were treated just like anyone else. Local law enforcement would arrest them. Um, and if they were of an undocumented status, then they could be sent back to their country of origin. I, I don't see why we can't just simply go back to that. And, you know, our taxpayers actually uh, would probably appreciate that too. INS had about a $6.2 billion budget um, back in 2003, and that, that is, of course, in today's dollars. But now all of the different organizations that were split up from the INS have a budget of almost $24 billion. So it costs almost four times as much and all they're doing is harassing our people. Um, so, you know, I, I think that would be the best course of action is just simply revert it back to its previous state. Mark, I'm so glad you brought up INS because a key part of the brand new Congress platform is to centralize immigration services, really focus on citizenship, refugees and immigration services, because right now it is such a bureaucratic mess with so much waste. Could you tell us, Mark, about the fiscal responsibility in dealing with immigration? Oh, certainly. Well, you know, for instance, right now, we have about 610,000 people who have been detained. Um, and, and of course, they're detained because of what Rick was talking about earlier um, with CCA and the GEO group basically lobbying Congress to detain those people for a minimum of about six months. And so that in and of itself is, is costing taxpayers quite a bit of money. So if we can actually bring the INS back, stop detaining people and create a much more fluid process to become a citizen, uh, then we won't have this problem. You know, in the process of, of law-abiding people trying to become full citizens, um, we can weed out any sort of bad people and then everyone else uh, should be documented properly, just, just like all Americans. And that'll save us uh, time, it'll save money, and most importantly, it'll save lives. If we're going to look at, a, a, at an economic angle, you know, one thing that, that is really driving the migration to the United States has to be you know, the push to globalism, uh, specifically in Latin America, 
uh, U.S. Uh, you know, fiscal policy and foreign policy has really pushed these free trade agreements. NAFTA, living with the legacy of that trade deal and what it did to the agrarian population and the and, and, and economy of Mexico, really destabilizing that, uh, really pushed people to the United States. And, and we saw that, that, that large surge in the 1990s. And uh, what we have right now is a system that for low-wage jobs, we only have 5,000 visas. And that's something that we could really increase to, to make this legal because when NAFTA was being negotiated, we knew that, or at least the trade partners knew that the largest export that was going to come out of Mexico was labor. And they, could, they had an opportunity to make that labor flow legal. But when you make it legal, those people now are protected with U.S. laws to be treated with dignity, to have rights. And our business community lobby to keep that off so that they could exploit that labor. So we don't even have an authentic debate about this issue. So I think we need to increase low-wage visa programs because a lot of the work, you know, for undocumented immigrants, they only make up about 5% of our economy, and they disproportionately are, are, are seen in farming. Over a quarter of all farm labor in the United States is undocumented work. So they're doing a lot of the jobs that Americans don't want to do, and they're exploited all the time. So if we're looking at it like abolishing ICE because it's a, it's a, a big bloat, yeah, that's true. But also we have to look at the problem itself and say we need to make this legal so that these people could be treated with respect and stop being victimized by our government. You know, I think, I think Rick is spot on. It's, it's the same um, entities in government and business colluding to basically hold down undocumented Americans and to use them um, for cheap labor that are fighting against unions that we've seen in this country for decades. Um, it, it, you know, it goes back to the same root of putting profit over people and that, that's got to stop. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly with my colleagues. Rick and Mark, you guys are brilliant on this stuff, and it's, everything they're saying is true. We must also consider the human side of these things. We, we're talking about that. We're talking about the human side of things, and we're talking about the financial side of things. But when we talk about the financial side of things, we must understand that Congress's job, one of their duties as outlined in the U.S. Constitution, um, Section 8, is to establish a uniform rule or an uniform rule of naturalization. So that is their job. Um, and, and instead, what we're seeing is they would rather work on these things that are designed to criminalize and expand mass incarceration when it comes to the immigration issues that we face in this country. And this is why we need a brand new Congress that's, that, that understands that and that's ready to get away from that. But when we talk about financials, and, and I'm more of a human um, side of it, uh, and we all are, uh, if you're a brand new Congress candidate, that's one of the criteria is you have to understand the human side of things. But for me, when we talk about financials, we have to focus instead on sound policies that will benefit the people of this country and the immigrant immigrant individuals or individuals who have hopes or aspirations of coming to this country to make it better. So the financial solution or the financial issues that we face uh, or that people bring up as why we should be deporting individuals are, are one, 
most of the time false. They're morally wrong. And two, there's always solutions financially. We rarely find in our government that we ever get to a point where we don't have a financial solution to, to problems. So I think it's, it's now time that we start to look at true immigration reform and creating this clear path to citizenship because of the human aspect of this. I think we just need to really focus on the human side of things as a whole. To expand a bit on what Chargo said about the human side of things, uh, you know, one perfectly good example I remember reading about recently uh, was someone named Jorge Garcia. He'd been here for about 30 years and he had a, a, a small issue with documentation that he was trying to get straightened out. Um, he had a landscaping business, he was married, he had two children, um, all of which were fully documented citizens and the U.S. government wouldn't allow him to become a fully documented citizen. He, he tried, and what happened is ICE came and took him from his home and left his wife and children here. Um, they sent him back to Mexico, and, you know, he has no connections there. He has no life there. Um, and, and now, I don't quote me on this one, but I believe the Mexican government, what they've been doing for people in his situation is they give him a small stipend of about $100 a week or $100 a month to actually live on. And, you know, that is inhumane, just sending someone that they haven't, uh, they haven't even been to this nation since they were, I, I believe, 10 years old in his case. That's, that's absolutely dehumanizing, and we really can't do that anymore. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big part of the reason that we need to get rid of ICE. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about an experience of talking to people who are um, immigrant ad advocates. Um, you know, I, I live here in San Antonio, Texas. It's my district is you know, has the largest U.S.-Mexico border in the United States with over 800 miles. I myself grew up on, in Laredo, Texas. Uh, my mother's from Oledo, Mexico. I have family in Mexico. You really do see a lot of uh, anxiety uh, and fear in these communities. Uh, I was in a church uh, talking to advocates and uh, people who have been uh, targeted by ICE and... Uh, and undocumented people and and to see the strategizing you know to see people coming together and figuring out you know what are we going to do to combat like charlo said this tyranny and, and in seeing the these advocates work together you know using using the our constitution to protect these people ourselves you know seeing the the fight in these people uh, it, it was so it's so moving and I, I just don't see why the United States would not want to value, you know, the industry and, and, the, and the community and the culture of these people that have made this country. And we do have to focus not only on the economic, you know, uh, issues, but like Charles said, you're right. You know, the, the, the human side of this, because this policy is really tearing people apart and it's it's violent to see it every day, you know, really to, to, to live in a city that this is around us, people living in the shadows people being exploited every day, that human side has to be there because America has to look itself in the mirror and say, what are we doing? Rick, I, I wanted to, I guess for all of the listeners, I want to add a little bit of my personal experience as um, individuals who have been longtime supporters of brand new Congress and who, who the, I call them pioneers, individuals who came, who found brand new Congress then started following all these different candidates and they donate to our campaigns. These are our pioneers, right? So many of them will know that I was, I stepped down as the president of the ACLU for Central Florida, which included four counties. Um, but while I was there, one of the things I did 
was establish these, this immigration task force. And I would take time out of my personal life and, and to not only educate uh, individuals who were in this country undocumented, but also to make them aware of their rights and just hear them out, try to get them representation. I worked very intimately with this. And I can tell you that the stories I heard from people, and I'll give you a couple of those, but I won't, I won't share any names. And, I, and there was an individual who was being abused by her uh, current fiance or boyfriend. She was undocumented, but she couldn't, she didn't even want to seek any help and, and she needed it. So she got to me through someone else. She wouldn't even talk to me because she was so afraid. Um, that's just one case. There was also other cases of individuals that were not going to work locally. And then, you know, there was, it was nice that they set up this somewhat, uh, network of folks to help each other. And, and I'm happy that I participated in that network. But that is what myself and the, my colleagues on this, this podcast are saying. Like the, the effects of ICE and the fear that it instills in a community, even if you aren't the individual being detained or being accosted or attacked by ICE, the individuals around you, around that are watching that are also part of that traumatic experience to see an individual ripped away from their children. Like, what do we come to in this country where we will tear people away from their children? How far have we come? We must get rid of ICE because if we don't, we're just going to continue to hurt individuals in this community. And the problem is not just undocumented immigrants who have to face ICE, who fear the knock at the door in the night. It's not just them. These policies hurt us all. They hurt us all, both financially, because we're the ones paying it, we're the ones that are funding it, and they hurt us morally. They hurt our character. And when history writes about this time, it's going to talk about how Americans were funding a government entity that was destroying human lives. And I'm no longer willing to be a part of that. I know that there's many individuals here locally that aren't willing to be a part of that. And we need to get to a point where we have a clear path to citizenship and we can go forward in the national, excuse me, in the worldwide community as a leader in human rights, patience, and understanding. And we can do that. And I'm willing to put myself on that firing line and go across it to ensure that immigrants do not feel this terror because I'm close friends with them. Even to this day, I'm not even with the ACLU and I, I receive questions and, and folks reach out to me and they want they want to know what they can do if ice comes what are my rights if, if i'm i drop my child off at school or what are my rights if and it's 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 terrible because there's there's clearly fear there there isn't they these folks aren't trying to break the law they're not they're not looking to break the law these individuals are looking to make a better life for themselves and their family and we need to make that possible. That's why America was uh, the land of prosperity. It was the land of the free. It was a place where we had an American dream. 
We don't have an American dream anymore. We have American hatred, and we are hurting each other. And we're hurting the international community by doing so. The eyes are on us. History's watching us. And it's time to get some folks in Congress who are ready to do away with these terrible policies that do nothing more than destroy human life. You know, if you see the way the United States has conducted itself, well, since for a long time, and I'm not even going to just give a starting point, we've seen, a, a, we've seen really a, a disregard for the rule of law when it comes to waging our wars, you know, what, we, what we've done our, with our foreign policy when the laws aren't there we, and aren't convenient for our, quote, enemies. You know, we'll, we disregard them. We do what, really whatever we want. And, and when it comes to immigration reform and, and our immigration policy, you see how there's a really kind of exploitation of these people because they're not U.S. citizens. The United States has said that these people aren't, you know, they really don't have any real legal rights. So they're put, they're, they're taken away with their families. They're not providing any legal representation by the state. It's like really Kafkaesque world where up is down, down is up, and these people are really in limbo, you know, perpetu in perpetual uh, incarceration, no real timetable for when they're going to be released. Uh, the political climate right now doesn't uh, lead me to believe that they're going to be provided with any type of relief in the near future, and that's why we need a brand new Congress, right? Like we need really to to put you know activists into Congress to change this in in, in a really rapid manner because really this is all part of a bigger story and the story is mass incarceration and you know if this was any other country the United States would be lecturing that country about its human rights abuses and this is a human rights crisis we are seeing the state inflict itself on poor vulnerable people that is, are simultaneously being exploited by our economy and then we're lecturing them about their otherness when we are a country of immigrants I mean it's so disgusting this whole whole narrative, everything, it's just, and the Democrats and Republicans play along with it because they're all bought by the same folks. You know, the moral thing isn't just what we're seeing, but like, you know, we were founded on, on law and the law right now is just being really perverted for profit. And, you know, Mark and Chardo and everybody on the Brandy Congress slate is what this country needs. You know, real outside the box thinking that's really just fighting for the working people and the most vulnerable. Yes, I absolutely agree. Now, with that, I think a, a really good example of what you're talking about of Democrats and Republicans working together to really screw over undocumented Americans, use our taxpayer dollars to deport them, is the, the whole budget negotiation where, you know, bill after bill after bill, deal after deal after deal, there was no inclusion at all of a pathway to citizenship for DACA recipients. And it's important to note that DACA, there are 800,000 DACA recipients. So that's, that's even a step down from the DREAM Act. The DREAM Act would cover approximately 3 million undocumented Americans. And that's only a quarter of the undocumented population. So I think what makes Brand New Congress really special is that we are interested in addressing the whole population, not just you know a, a quarter of it, a percentage of it, and not lowering our standards. And with that, Chardo, could you maybe tell us a little bit about what Congress has done in recent years and what it has not done under both Obama and Donald Trump regarding immigration? What they have done is they've allowed the uh, executive branch 
to one, take out, take away DACA, two, to institute this terrible, terrible, terrible uh, ban on Muslims, the Muslim ban or the immigration ban, whatever you want to call it. What I find most discouraging about Congress is that they are standing back in doing nothing. And they have the ability to do something. The, we have three branches of government. And those three branches are supposed to be sort of a check and balance for us. At least that's how I see it, right? But the closest piece of government, the, close, the closest piece to us, the people, that is supposed to speak for the people, that is supposed to protect the people, is the U.S. Congress. And that's why they are the first first article of the U.S. Constitution. The people come first. But what we're seeing is a Congress that is standing by and allowing these problems to continue, especially as they relate to immigration, and not doing anything. So when I say they're not doing anything, you work out a clear path to citizenship. But what's what the way our government is set up, when there's something that big money interests want, when there's something that the, the corporations want, it's possible. But when there's something that the people want, when there's something that's good for humanity, it's impossible. And it's nothing more than a game that they play with us. It's an establishment game because both Democrats and Republicans are guilty of it. And yes, I'm running as a Democrat, but I am not running as an establishment Democrat. And the problem is we have far too many establishment individuals in, in our seats representing us and don't even know the first thing about representation. So you, you don't only represent the individuals who voted for you, you represent the individuals who didn't vote for you because they couldn't vote for you, because they've lived in this country for 15 years and the green card or naturalization process is taking them 15 years. That individual still needs your representation the formerly uh, incarcerated individual who's been disenfranchised needs you to represent them. But we see that our, our Congress has little effect or has little motivation to do anything about this. I'll speak from a Democratic or from a Democrat side, because I'm often told since I am challenging a Democratic incumbent that, oh, you know, we need to get the House we need to turn the house blue and we need to turn Florida blue and we need to, we gotta not fight against other Democrats. Well, forgive my language, but that's bullshit because Democrats have held a majority, had the, the opportunity to pass laws that would be good for people that would help immigration, for example. Um, and they haven't done it. The Dream Act itself was introduced in 2001. So, but they haven't done anything about that with that DREAM Act since 2001. And it'd be nice if they passed the Clean DREAM Act. And there's something else I'd like to mention. So another thing they haven't done, which was mentioned earlier in the broadcast, which was that they haven't had the, the spending bill, the passage of our, our spending bills, the budget, and there was no immigration tied to it or anything else tied to it. That shows their inadequacy. That shows that they don't get the people. It shows that they don't understand what's going on in this country and they're out of touch. They are individuals who would represent the wealthy class and have nothing to do with the people who need their protection most. 
I'm sick and tired of it. I, I know that we all are. So the best way to, to fix it is to replace them. So when you ask the question of what have they done for us, not much, in my opinion, when it comes to immigration. They have the explicit uh, responsibility, Congress, to make these laws and to, to make the naturalization process uh, improve it, and they haven't done it in, in quite some time, and they, they should do it. It would save us taxpayer dollars. It would cut down on our mass incarceration numbers. It would promote uh, humanity across this, this globe by saying we're willing to have a, a immigration system that encourages immigrants to come here. They're going to give to us. They're going to help our economy flourish. They're going to help our neighborhoods flourish. Yeah, so when you ask me what they've done, very little, and what they could do, a whole lot. But their pockets are far more important than what they're truly representing the people. We always run around complaining about what the government is doing, what what's wrong with our government, why they never listen to the people. But what a lot of people forget is that we are the government. You know, we just need to actually rein them in. And that's why I'm running. That's why Chardo's running. That's why Rick is running. That's why everybody here is running, because we finally got sick of it. They don't do what we tell them to. They don't do what we ask them to. And so, you know, we finally just decided it's time to quit asking and it's time to just take it back. Um, the only thing that ever actually gets done is what they're paid to do. I mean, if you look at it, we've been in perpetual war uh, for half of my life. And we have military contractors that are spending tens of millions of dollars every single year. Um, you know, we have people in the pharmaceutical lobby. We have people in other healthcare industries that spend all this money just to keep things the way that they are. And it doesn't benefit regular American citizens. And, and guess what? Undocumented Americans are Americans too. And we don't get the immigration reform that we need because those people are powerless. And, you know, they don't have the money to buy our politicians, and so nothing ever gets done in their favor. Well, the only way that we can change this is to get in there and change it ourselves. And you know what? We've, we've had an awakening in this country, especially with social media, which is part of the reason uh, I think they're trying to shut that kind of stuff down. Um, you know, like, like look what they've done to net neutrality. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to keep us from communicating properly so that we can't plan and that we can't organize and we can't take the power back because they are the only ones that stand to lose from the from, from all this, not us. You know, the only thing that we stand is to get a better future for everyone, a more inclusive future for everyone, and that's what most people want. Most people that follow brand new Congress know that I I'm an independent Republican, so I come from a, a, a different background than most of the people in brand new Congress, and so a lot of people would think that since I'm in Tennessee, which is a heavily red area that there would be maybe a lot more vitriol about immigrants. But it's it's funny, everyone I talk to feels exactly the same about the Dreamers. They think that it's absolutely insane that people who were brought here as children were gonna be forcibly removed and put into a country that they have never even been uh, familiar with. So, you know, every everywhere we have humanity. And, you know, if you just watch the evening news, you don't see that because all we have is establishment politicians running around with their talking points that they're paid to regurgitate. You know, with this movement, with brand new Congress, I think we're going to see that go away. You know, whenever they read in the history books, they're not just going to read about how we were paying to have people deported. They're going to read about how we stood up and took the power back to bring those people in and welcome them as American citizens.
Yeah, yeah. Like we're talking about like, you know, our brave leaders in the Senate, you know, fighting for all of us, right? You know, like the way they approached this issue was so frustrating. I think all of us felt that. I remember in um we have this community chat, all brand new Congress candidates and and, and just during the whole, you know, budget debate, you know, we had we all saw this big talk from from the Democrats how they were gonna gonna shut down the government for justice for for dreamers. Uh, they, they they took all their photo ops with the kids. You know, I, I had advocates here in San Antonio. Andrea, uh, uh, I, I know, you know, they went over there. They advocated for their community. It was awesome to see. And to see all these politicians just use them for a photo op and then let them down. And it was so frustrating to see, like, the way the Democrats approached this. Like, the whole deal for the Dreamers is really untenable. They're asking the Dreamers, okay, we'll give you citizenship but not your parents. You know, okay, so you're asking them right there to be selfish. And, you know, and the Dreamers call, or called out Nancy Pelosi, called out the, the, the leadership and saying, this is not fair. We're not just pawns. We're not something to be kind of, you know, compromised with. We have a family in the community. So all of us support a pathway to citizenship for Dreamers and their parents. Also for TPS status, we have to extend that. And they, the Democrats started at the compromise. The compromise is pathway to citizenship for dreamers and their parents. That's the compromise. And you start a full amnesty. Start bold, start big, have conversations that are different. And then you could compromise to those positions, but you just see our strategy is so inept. It's all talk. It, it lets us down. And that's why brand new to Congress is a growing thing because of, of the way we approach these issues. And and Mark was right about how the framing, you know, really about how we talk about it is really negative. And, you know, the, the Democrats used to say illegal aliens in the 90s. You know, they were part of this dog whistle crap, too. You know, and I've seen it here in Texas over and over again. We saw it the Wendy Davis campaign when she said that she supported Rick Perry when he sent National Guard troops to the border. Are you kidding me? You know, th these are some of the safest communities. I'm from Laredo, Texas. I was just in El Paso a couple of days ago. And when Donald Trump came and visited the border, if you watch Fox News, it was like he was going into a war zone. It was so disrespectful. These are some of the, 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 the most peaceful communities in the United States. So, and to see the Democrats play into this framing, that, that the border is some type of war zone or the Wild West or needs to be secured. I've said it over and over on the campaign trail. If my district continues to talk about itself only in terms of national security and, and uh, securing the border... The only allocation that's ever going to come into my district is to secure those borders, but nothing for our infrastructure, our education system, our healthcare system, our veterans. All that was going to be neglected because why is it is this district that's dangerous deserve anything? We need to just talk about this in an honest way. And it's so damaging, especially the districts like mine that have a border, have communities that have been there for hundreds of years interacting with each other. And just right now, because it's politically convenient to demonize these people, we're just going to make a buck off of them. You know, it's, it really is infuriating. And hell yeah, abolish ICE. Let's do it now. I love, I love Rick. Rick's spirit. Yes, you are right, though. Let's do it now. Since we're talking about Congress and their lack of willingness to do anything, um, and Mark, great comment. Just well said, brother. Well said. I negotiate now for the public schools union here in Seminole County, Florida. And there's one thing in negotiation. You have to know what you want. And you got to know when to walk away from the table. 
And unfortunately, the Democrats didn't do that when it came to the Dreamers. They were willing to compromise, like Rick said, their parents for them. And that's just, that's still no good for our communities. It's no good for us. It's no good that we're going to tell people, we're going to tell these children, you need to go against your parents. That's terrible. That's terrible. What are we teaching them? You hear oftentimes in this country that a lot of the problems we have are, are flaws within the family, but yet we're willing to tear apart an, an immigrant family just because I don't even know why. I don't, I don't even understand the reasoning for it, to be quite honest. Um, but I can tell you what the reasoning in my mind is. It's hate. It's hatred. It's bigotry. It's racism. That's all it is. Because when you honestly sit down and look at the facts and, and take a look at what really is going on in our country, let's take two examples. Dreamers. To qualify as a dreamer, you have to recertify, so to speak. You have to meet all of this criteria. These individuals are sometimes head and shoulders above our own uh, Americans in what they accomplish and what they what they're good at, what they're what they're providing to the community, the benefit they're providing to this nation. But they're not worth protection. And then when it comes down to the the workforce, listen to me, America. Any American who's listening to this, who thinks that immigration we need stronger immigration laws and we need walls and we need to, to lock out people. Or if you believe like the current sitting president that a nation without borders or without walls or borders is, a, is no nation, you're, you're, I need you to listen to me closely and clearly. If we do not protect our immigrant population and in fact encourage them to come to this country, we are going to be in worst financial state, a worse financial state in this country than ever before in our history. Because immigrants make up a large swath of our workforce and our, they pay taxes and they're here. And I'm not saying that that's their only value. No, I'm not. But what I'm telling you is baby boomers are retiring and they're going to leave the workforce. What are we going to do? Well, if we don't have a steady stream of workforce and that's the financial side of things that's the the side of the individuals that think that we need to get immigrants out of this country so you would cut off your nose to spite your face so back to the negotiation point i negotiate and when i and what i know is you're supposed to have what you want before you go in and there's there comes a point where you walk away from the table it's unfortunate that democrats didn't have the the ability or the courage to walk away from the table and instead let us all down like Rick just was saying and giving his examples. People will look at my campaign and say it's probably progressive and you've you got to compromise on certain stuff and I'm willing to compromise. Understand, I know how to compromise. I compromise daily in my full-time job. I compromise with my, my daughter when she wants to ice cream and I don't want her to have ice cream. I compromise all the time. I'm not willing to compromise that these things should be done. We can compromise how they're done. We can talk about what's the best approach to it, but I'm not willing to compromise that immigration reform must take place now. A clear path to citizenship must take place now. I'll compromise with you on how to do it, but I'm not compromising that it must be done. Just like I will not compromise 
that ICE should be abolished. We can compromise on how we want to wind it down or where we want to fold it into and, and what limitations we want to give them, but we need to get rid of it. And I'm not willing to compromise that. You know, briefly, whenever Chardo is talking about compromise, um, we see so much in, in government today with policymaking that there is no compromise. And that's part of the reason that brand new Congress started up. You know, if, if, if there are 49 Democratic senators and 51 Republican senators um, and we have a vote on something, the vote goes 49 to 51. And it's, it's almost like that they're so tone deaf that they don't realize that there are 320 million Americans. We can't always be divided straight down the middle and everybody is not always going to have their way. We have to have compromise. We have to learn how to work together to actually get things done or else we see the same thing happening over and over that's happened ever since Trump has taken office. There has been nothing done. Well, nothing done that did any good for the American people. Um, we, we have a tax cut bill that was pushed through because the rich and the powerful wanted it. And the only bipartisan work that we've seen, I say this all the time, is deregulation for the banks to bring them back to the same point that they were in in 2008 whenever we had the crash. So the only time that they'll compromise and work together is whenever they're paid to do it by their big money donors. And, you know, if we want compromise that will work for everyone, you know, we're not always all going to have our way. It, it just doesn't work out like that. But if we want to reach the end line together, we've got to do it together. You know, we're either all winners or we're all losers. And the thing about brand new Congress is we're Republicans and Democrats. We're people from all over the country. And we realize what goal we want. And we know that we actually have to work together to get there. And everybody's not going to be happy all the time. And, you know, ICE isn't going to be abolished immediately. Uh, we're not going to be able to reinstitute the INS and, and get rid of, of all this pain and suffering. You know, you can't just shut things down overnight, but we have to start working towards it. Too often, establishment politicians now just say, oh, well, something's not feasible, you know, or, hey, just, just, just take it one step at a time. Well, no, we need to go ahead and set down the end goals now and start working towards them. You know, Medicare for all is the exact same thing. I hear over and over and over, oh, geez, it, it, it can't happen. We've got the ACA. Let's just work with it for now. You, you know, no, I'm, I'm sick and tired of waiting around. By the time that uh, that I'm old enough to be as old as the senators and congressmen who are in there now, I want to be able to look back and say, wow, look at all that we did. Look at how much better this place is instead of keeping it how it's been. Almost my entire life, our economy has been going downhill. And, uh, you know, ever since uh, the 1980s, things have stayed pretty much the same. And by the same, I mean, they get worse for the working class and they just consistently get better for the top 1%. Well, you know, the time's come, we're standing up, we're doing what has to be done to make those compromises, to make those hard decisions, and to actually make progress. I think that's a great point, Mark, about like how the only time you see bipartisanship in like in this era of American politics is when it came to the Iraq War, the Patriot Act, uh, the war in Afghanistan, defense spending, you know, TARP bailout, you know, all these things that really doesn't affect anybody but the elites of this world. And we really see an attempt by both the left and the right to romanticize bipartisanship, right? As if, like, sensible discussion is what's preventing us from these, these decisions. You know, that's what's missing, rationality. I mean, if you, if you talk to Paul Ryan, if I talked to Paul Ryan or I talked to Mitch McConnell and I gave him all the context in the world about, doc, about DACA, about immigration, I gave him a good history lesson like he needs, 
I'm a history teacher like me. I tell them the truth about everything with all the facts. They're not going to compromise. They're on a mission, and their mission is to make money for their donors. So the only time bipartisanship happens is when the donors are agreeing on that stuff. That's why we need to throw these bums out. That's why we need a brand new Congress. Let's, throw that, let's say it again. We need a brand new Congress because of this reality. And in this era, on issues that affect the working people, the, the, the issues that affect the most vulnerable people, you never see bipartisanship because it's politicized by the donor class. And the, the whole discussion revolving around immigration is, is so, it's just so inauthentic. I, I'll use that word again. It, it really, you know, it's, it's just driven by profit. It's driven by fear. It's the, the same type of politics that has existed in this country since its inception, you know, blaming the other. And we see this in American history happening in the 1880s with the Chinese and then in the 1920s. You know, uh, these immigrant movements, quota systems, you know, and it was all for political motives. You know, we just have to stop scapegoating human beings and start looking at the policymakers. Uh, I'm glad that I'm, I'm part of a movement like this. I'm glad I'm running with people like Mark and Chardo. We are postpartisan. You know, Mark's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Chardo's a, a Democrat. But what does that mean? You know, now it, it really does, you know, like Chomsky said, there's one party in this country. It's a business party. and It's got two factions, the Republicans and the Democrats. And we're just trying to play the game to get there because we just need to, we're just trying to represent the, the working people, the most vulnerable. We're just trying to respect, represent the truth. And abolishing ISIS truth is what needs to be done. So a question to all of you, what can folks do to get involved in brand new Congress and support the ICE abolition movement? One of the best ways that you can get involved is uh, just supporting us because Many of us are being locked out by the establishment and it's not being reported in the news. Um, and that's un-American, if you will, and totally non-democratic. It's not, it's not the way that our framers intended this to be. And for all the flaws of our constitution, it's still supposed to be a representative government and people should have the information. They should know what candidates are there. Um, for example, where I'm running, many people think the person I'm running against is for many of the same issues I'm for. I'm often asked, what's the difference between you two? Aren't you for the same thing? No, not at all. But they, they only know her narrative because that's where the, the, uh, media is. And that's okay. That's an uphill battle that we knew we would fight. So anybody who wants to help us who, uh, is for abolishing ICE and for many of the other things we're for, like Medicare for all, raising the wage, college for all, and into mass incarceration, which abolishing ICE will help, then you can definitely help us by sharing. If you're indie media, if you're, you know, if you can give us interviews, then give us interviews. Reach out to us because we are the people. Truly, we are you. We don't come from establishment. We don't come from big money. We don't come from uh, the wealth, wealthy class or individuals who are typically seen as, yeah, you can run for Congress. Um, another way to run, to help us is by contributing and even small dollar donations. My grandmother is not very wealthy, but she, she definitely contributes about 50 bucks a month to me. And that money is far more valuable 
than any other money because it, it, it shows that you support us and we, we value every dollar that comes into this campaign. So my suggestion, and I'll let the other two, my two colleagues, um, give you theirs, but mine would be to definitely support us on social media, you know, share us, get us out there because the, the national media and even local media isn't doing a very good job of covering us. Second would be if you have any spare change, just don't drink coffee one day and submit, send it to one of these campaigns. You'll be um, doing some great stuff. So you can find me on social media, uh, Twitter at Chardo2018. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Chardo Richardson. Look for the political page. I do have a personal page. I'm also on Instagram at Chardo Richardson. And then uh, my website's Chardo2018.com. Yeah, you know, Chardo pretty much covered everything. Um, we, the biggest thing that we really need, um, since we don't have establishment backing, is is exposure. Um, people can't vote for us if they don't know who we are. Um, every time that somebody asks me what they can do for me, I, I tell them, you know, tell their friends, tell their family, um, tell them about me if they're in my district, and and if they're not in my district, I, I mention to them that they need to tell everyone they know about brand new Congress because we have about 30 candidates running nationwide. Um, and actually, while I was out flyering just a couple weeks ago, I ran into a couple that was from Illinois. Uh, one of our candidates, Anthony Clark, uh, was, was running up there. And, um, you know, they said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for what you're doing, but we're not from here. So I said, well, where are you from? And they said Illinois. And I asked where in Illinois. And they were actually from Anthony's district. And so I said, well, hey, we've got this great guy named Anthony Clark. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've heard of him. We've seen his stuff um, and, and we're going to vote for him in the primaries. And so, that would, you know, that was great. In that instance, they know they knew who he was. But in a lot of a lot of instances, I've had people uh, in District 3 next door who didn't even know about someone named Dr. Danielle Mitchell, who's also running with Brand New Congress. Um, and after I tell them about her, they get super excited. And, and, you know, I tell them, hey, go volunteer for a campaign. Just help out however you can. Um, so that's really the biggest thing, word of mouth and exposure, because um, word of mouth is free and, and this is an expensive business. We have to use our money uh, where we best can to get that exposure. And so, of course, that brings me to my least favorite part of running is is asking for money. Um, it, it drives me nuts because I know how hard people work for their money. Um, but, uh, you, you know, the one thing is every dollar that I get means so much to me. Um, I, I've had people as I'm knocking doors, uh, give me money while I'm right there. And, you know, I see how they're living. I see that they're not, um, super wealthy. And, and so if they give me $10, that means a heck of a lot more than the $30 million that military contractors gave to our establishment politicians last year. Um, so, you know, give money wherever you can. Um, I obviously don't starve yourselves, but, uh, we really need support. Um, we've been doing quite a lot with quite a little, um, you know, we, we've had great successes in the Texas primaries recently, um, with very little, uh, Rick actually did really well down there and, and got into the runoff election with far less money than his competitors. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing that we can do. Uh, and, and if you have the time is, is volunteer. Um, even if you don't live in a district with a brand new Congress candidate, you know, you can absolutely do phone banking, help with social media. You know, there's there's tons to do. Um, and speaking of social media, I'll real quick give my plug. Um, my actually all my media is going to be under Whitmire 2018, and that's going to be all all together. Uh, Whitmire is spelled W H I T M I R E, and then just the number 2018 behind it. Um, so that's on Twitter, 
on Facebook, and my website is also Whitmire2018.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for highlighting my race there, Mark. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think all of us in Brandy Congress are winning grassroots you know, campaigns, uh, small dollar donations, uh, predominantly uh, fill my coffers, and I'm really proud of the race I ran. I beat a candidate that raised half a million dollars. I raised $22,000. I He spent close to 60 bucks a vote. I got, I did it at $2.64 a vote. It was uh, something that doesn't happen often, and it's happening now because people are sick and tired of this nonsense with what's going on in Congress, what's, what's going on in the executive branch, what's going on in America. You know, like Mark said, man, we, we, we've been at war most of my life. We're at war right now that are undeclared all over this world. This has to end. And now candidates like Mark and Chardo and myself, we're cutting through. All BNC candidates have a shot now because things have changed. So we so pay attention to all these candidates and brand new Congress. Uh, like like everybody, you could do a lot of phone banking if you're not there, small dollar donations. But in terms of the issue at hand, you know, talk to Catholic charities in your cities. Uh, look around for advocacy groups. The, the, this administration is aggressive, and when they do something aggressive for political points, you are you you need to get in the streets. You need to connect with these organizations. You need to use your privilege and your power to speak out. You know, just try to connect, find uh, find out those local or, local organizations. You know, and and just keep at it, and keep being an activist. Keep being a, you know, we need your help. And with your help, we could do anything. Yes, and thank you all so much for coming on. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Citizen. It was good. It was a great talk, and I'm so proud of uh, the folks I'm running with, man. Mark and Rick, you guys, you guys inspire me. Thanks for uh, being with me. And Jordan, as always, thank you. You are doing some great work for us. You really are. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan, for this. And yeah, everybody, uh, uh, you guys are my heroes. I, I think about y'all every day. And go to rickfor23.com to learn more. And at ricktd23 is my Twitter handle. Thanks again for this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Now to our listeners, if you want to keep up with Brand New Congress, make sure to follow us on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and check out our website, brandnewcongress.org. If you can, please donate or volunteer. We are truly a grassroots organization by the people, for the people, and we need all the help we can get. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.